if the both of you were to own a Spelljammer ship, uh, what would you mm. name? Ooh. Oh, it's hard. Sometimes these are hard. Do we roll for this? I forget. I'm rolling anyway. I've got a four. Oh, yeah, I'll roll. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, rolled I don't 10. think we do, but let's roll anyways. I got five. Yeah, so I'm going first. I was not yeah. prepared for this question. I would, I would, maybe something that speaks to what I'm trying to achieve or attempts fate. I might call it like fortune or something. A simple name. I like one single word names. Fortune. Mm, interesting. Interesting. I would go with Darkwing Duck. Darkwing. Duck. <laughs> no, just not name it I can't talk that. <laughs> I was gonna go with something like the surface skimmer, but now that I heard Darkwing Duck, I've just uh, but like the joy of Darkwing sad. Duck is ducks don't fly, you know. Like yep. some most ducks don't; they just kind of like flop around. So like, I feel no, like but they can great. fly though. They can. can. They just some don't can. tend to. It would be like Darkwing Penguin. Let's do that just so that it's ironic. The fact <laughs> like, that can't. Can't, I'm sorry, we can't brush over this. I what? think all <laughs> ducks can fly. Can all ducks fly? I think Google so, that yes. for me. I think it's like a con- no one. I've never in my 34 years on this planet heard about a duck that can't fly. Geese you know don't. That's oh no, geese fly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, the internet, the internet's shaking. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I do that a lot. To the internet, it's fine. Shaking, shaking in their boots. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on lore in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. I'm Megan, and with me today are Terry and Brad. Hello. Hello. And this episode is called Spelljammer, the phlogiston all but gone. It's an astral sea topography. In this episode of... Thanks, Adam. They're always brilliant. In this episode of the It's a Memory podcast, this panel of dungeon masters will be floating peacefully among the stars and embracing Dungeons and Dragons version of space travel, or at least fifth edition's version. It's all astral sea, dead gods, weird gravity, and some of the most bizarre playable races, aka lineages now, we've gotten so far in this edition. All right. So how do you guys feel about space adventures in your fantasy setting? Let's uh, roll initiative. Roll in. 10. Not 20. I got a two. So you go ahead, Brad. All right. I think my opinion's fairly well documented on this. I am a big fan of space adventures and I have no problem with mixing it with fantasy. Um, in fact, I feel like this setting was made for me. This is I've heard I've totally... heard about your large excitement, like yeah. around Spelljammer. Yeah. Yeah, let's be real here. I mean, I don't want to be too punny, but it is literally my jam. The whole <gasps> Spelljammer is my jam. <laughs> Love it. What did you get, Megan? I got 10. I got two, so it's your turn. Okay. Uh, Yes, I am excited. I think previously the reason I was not excited was because I thought I was going to have to put a whole bunch of rules together myself and figure it out, and there was no spell jammer in 5th edition. I really wanted to do it, but I couldn't do it. But after uh, reading up on the 5th edition version of Spelljammer, I am confident that I could pull it off. So yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, I can agree. I'm I'm not overly as excited as most people are. I was never really a sci-fi fan growing up as a child. I was a high fantasy child. So bridging the gap into like more of the the space fantasy has been newer in my adulthood. Uh, So I don't hate it. I'm enjoying reading and learning about it. Um, But yeah, I'm not as hype as y'all are, but I do enjoy it. Clearly Brad and I are. Quite hype. So hype. I can see it on Brad's face. He's like, I'm going to fall asleep right now, but I'm so fucking hype. All right. Okay. Brad is doing what DM two and three always do, which is you don't really listen to the DM. You're just getting ready for your bit and hoping that it goes well. It's it's, like reading ahead. That's what I do. 
that's my normal conversation practice. I don't listen to other people say, I just wait for what I'm going to say. Yeah. Active listening isn't really a thing. It's when you're in class and you count how many rows you have to until you read your sentence out loud, but you're not listening to anything else anybody else is saying. Yeah. I hear that. Works great in a relationship. Wow. That was a jump. (laughs) Taking notes. Okay. But before we get deeper into this, let's cut to an ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on lore in 5th edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. If you would like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you would like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. Don't forget to send us your mailbag questions. Back in December, we wiped the slate clean of all the old outstanding questions, and now it's time for some new ridiculousness to come from you, the listeners, to us, the podcasters. You can hop on the subreddit, hit us up on Facebook or Instagram, or send us an email at info We'll answer everything you send us, so please feel free to let your creative juices flow. As for what's happening on Patreon this week, we're returning back to the conversation on the False Hydra and what happens when the players go completely off the rails. And the only thing left for me to do as a dungeon master is start to improvise on the fly. But for now, let's get back to some Spelljammer. All right, so we did do an episode recently about basically our hot takes and our you know thoughts on Spelljammer recently. Uh, in a previous episode, but it was more around the generalizations of the book as a whole and how excited we are as DMs to have it. So feel free to go and have a look back. And if you haven't listened to that episode, feel free to do so. Uh, Today, we will be digging into more of the nitty gritty aspects that you can expect from this contentious edition of the fifth edition books for quite a few different reasons. So when we refer to the spell jamming series uh, or spell jammer series, we're going to hear a lot of terms like wild space, astral sea, and kind of a whole lot more the common thematics here. The main thing to consider and understand is that the wild space is referring to all the space in between the worlds. So basically, if you're standing on your home world, your home planet, and you look out into the heavens, you're looking at the wild space. And then once you get past that wild space, that is where you enter in the astral sea, or sometimes referred to as the silver void. Um, And then the two combined together kind of make the astral, um, I don't want to call it the astral plane. What is it? Astral sea is astral plane. Yes. So did I understand that correctly? I had to reread that nine times to figure out if that was actually how it works. Yes, (laughs) that is my interpretation of it. Yes. Okay, perfection. Because in my mind, I imagine that like the wild space is your atmosphere of your world. And then when you get through it is when you're traveling faster through like the astral seas, right? That is correct. kind of how I see it. Yes. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right, so the Spelljammer book kind of helps coordinate what that wild space can look like and what it can represent, and then what it's like to travel through the astral sea between planets and worlds. So throughout the pages of Spelljammer, uh, you are shown so many different wild and weird shit that will appear within the empty space of like the void of space. And if you actually look at the art of the book, it's very colorful, it's very bright, it's very alien, it's actually really quite beautiful. So I just wanted to make a comment that it, it is a really nice looking book to go through. Yeah, it, the art is absolutely outstanding. And the pastels and the bright colors really kind of set it apart rather than the dark gloominess of space. It does. It feels very, it felt very cartoony to me when I saw it the first time. I got so. Guardians of the Galaxy vibes or like Mar- the way Marvel does like multiverse in the MCU. It's kind of that bright color kind of scheme. Yeah, I can definitely feel that for sure. 
Um, but like, since it's in the title, I do have to address it, the Flodistan and why it's been removed or why it, what it is and why and what we do now. Um, so from what I can gather, uh, it was the original astral sea, the original way of traveling through space. It was kind of like all the planets were connected by an intergalactic colorful tubing. And that's how you travel between worlds and travel between planets. And then any of those planets that were not connected directly used a crystal that you could poke a hole through that you could actually get yourself through and connect yourself to other planets. So that was the old way. Um, so it was very contentious when they released this Spelljammer book for fifth edition that that was removed. Why? Was so it Brad, okay, they just kind of removed it for ease as from oh. what I can understand. I don't know, Brad, do you feel that that's why it was removed? Ease, and I think the whole fifth edition thing has been to kind of streamline it, make it more accessible. Um, it was pretty obtuse in the way that it was done before. Um, yeah. And this, I feel like the way they've done it in fifth edition is just to make it clear and easy, right? We can kind of understand the idea of having planets and a space between them. Yeah, it kind of it kind of offers itself up to more being able to actually play through that like space pirate themology, right? Like Absolutely. Yeah, you're not just traveling through a tube, you're traveling through open space. <laughs> I just imagine like those spider web tubes, tubing systems, like it just, it would look very strange. From, uh, from it's more like view. the uh, vacuum tubing systems at like malls where they send the cash through the, um, or through the tubes. You yeah. just kind of get sucked into your little pod. Like and... the, the mail inside the little tube thing. That yeah, you exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. All right. So what does it look like now for traveling across the astral sea? Let's talk about air envelopes for a hot second. So unlike being in the astral sea specifically around a planet where you're actually able to breathe just fine, when you leave a planet or those kinds of spaces, you're actually covered in what's called an air envelope that lasts, if you're a human or like a creature, only lasts for a minute. So it's not that long. So you will suffocate and you will die. So that's why most folks in the wild space actually travel using spell jammer ships, which and one of the main reasons for that is because the air envelope is actually a hell of a lot larger. And sometimes you can have ships that regenerate that envelope over and over again, similar to the way like the planets do and things like that. But this does kind of allow the idea that folks can travel through the astral sea with their mind and or magical capabilities as well. Uh, but most will just use a ship. Um, Spelljammer ships are basically large vessels that could travel through wild space and seas due to it having its own air envelope, as I explained, and also its own gravity plane. So I'm going to try and explain this as best I can. The Spelljammer ship is essentially surrounded by a giant air bubble that is then dissected in half by a plane of what they call the plane, gra plane of gravity. And then you can stand on that plane of gravity on top of it or upside down below it. So it, the gravity works in both directions. So that's why you can actually like run around your ship if you wanted yes. to. Yeah. So did that sound, I was trying to figure out how to explain this without a visual. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, was sound... clear, but then again, I already kind of knew what to expect, but I think that's a pretty good ex explanation. Yeah, but those are kind of the basics of how like the spell jammer ships function as, as a whole. But of course, there are things that you can get into nitty gritty details if you're looking at how to navigate what happens when you're overlapping in gravity place, gravity spaces overlap, um, and the possibility of drifting, and of course, the possibility of just falling. So um, it does explain a lot of things about how like the space that you are contained in can actually become contaminated and it has um, different things that you can do to kind of navigate what happens when that goes down. Um, but it's a very interesting thing where technically the larger like air pocket bubble, if it comes in contact with a smaller air pocket bubble, the smaller air pocket bubble will then become like the sim same as the large one. So if it's yeah, a contaminated space, then you now contaminate the smaller space. But the correct. smaller space will not contaminate the larger space. Yes. Which I, which I thought was a very interesting thing. But 
spaceships and spell jamming is kind of like the main go-to, but there are some other fun notes to consider when looking at traveling through space with your fun little PCs, is that due to space and time being different in all of the worlds, a lot of the spell jammers don't actually utilize years and how to reference time change, uh, because time is literally a construct to the people that are flying through space. Um, so that's a fun thing to play with. There's also no fire, of course, in the wild space, because that is a vacuum. There is no air. However, of course, magical fire, okay. But actual fire, nothing. Uh, the astral <laughs> sea is also a space where you can um, you never age and you never require food or drink. Uh, this does bode for some really cool species and sorry, you know, lineages that come that you may come across as you're going through. Is they might be old, they might be very well aged and very wise, right? Depending on where they've grown up. It is also what I would like to consider a doomscape. Uh, so as you're traveling through space, you will come across destroyed worlds that are just floating about. You'll come across dead bodies floating around, just enjoying life, you know, and by life, I mean death, uh, which is, <laughs> but it's actually a very common theme throughout the book. When you read about some of the lineages, you read some of, some of the other things that are going on. They do reference the fact that there are dead floating gods all over the place. Uh, in fact, there are some lineages that will actually build castles on dead, the bodies of dead gods. So Yeah. That's basically it's spell jammer cool. as like a neat little package without that's getting it. too far into the nitty gritty, right? That's like that's kind of it. <laughs> that's science. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring the other grass Tyson on. <laughs> yeah. I like the spell jammer science. I feel like I would have killed this exam. Like, yeah, right. About this, <laughs> it's just basically just like <laughs> it's basically kind of a science, you know? Like yeah. we have air. Like they've considered gravity. They've considered, you know. Being able to breathe, whether you can't breathe or can breathe, they've considered how you're supposed to be able to travel. Um, they've considered the different kinds of vacuums of space. Like they've considered a lot when they actually kind of put this stuff together. Did they consider so. it, or did they not consider it any of it? And then they went to push it out, and then they like they presented it. The fact it's, it's shipping tomorrow, we got to get it out. What about <laughs> food and drink? You don't need to eat. You don't need to eat. You don't need to drink. What about gravity? Oh my god, it's the same both ways. Don't worry about it. Don't do it. Yeah. What about time? This uh, book was it. very much, uh, we got to push this out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we got to get this like, out. We gotta, don't believe anything. Just I'm, I'm, I'm imagining like their mirror, like their mirror board or like whatever, where they have all, all of their tact ideas of things and tasks they need to have completed. And then they just start going over it. Food? No. <laughs> just rips it off the wall. Drink? Give it. No. Rips it off the wall. Not, <laughs> not needed. Not needed. Not needed. Just like going through and they're like, all right, this is good. We're fine. Everything's exactly. fine. It's, a, it's been 36 years since anybody's tracked rations in D&D. We're fine. Nobody cares about yeah, space. Yeah, also true. <laughs> I feel like that's a great like thing to consider, though, is the fact that we have spent years in on this podcast talking about the necessities of whether or not we are going to track someone's rations or not. And then the Spelljammer just said, don't nah. worry about it. <laughs> Spelljammer said, that's the least of your problems. Don't worry, if you're worried about food, you're not going to wrap <laughs> your head around the rest of this. That's you're flying around dead accurate. gods. Yeah, like, get over it. You're going to be fine. Um, but yeah, so let me show you. I've got some questions about some generalized spell jammer shit. Sure. Should we roll? 14. 10. I did roll already. I got a two. All right. So, Brad, you're first. What inspires you the most about the spell jammer so far? For me, it's just the general setting, right? The deepness, the darkness of space, the infinite possibilities of what you could come up with. Um reality seems to sort of be suspended so you can come up with whatever you want and not really have to justify it that much either 
I don't know. It's spell jammer. It's space. There's dead gods floating. So I found a cat that walks backwards and speaks only in rhymes. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Whatever you want to come up with. Could you imagine? It's not going to be hard to explain. I don't want to role play a character that speaks only in rhymes. I feel like that's a lot Oh, me work. neither. <laughs> yeah. I can't even role play a character that speaks straight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. I enjoy the idea of the just the the space travel in general. I think I I don't think I would have enjoyed the space adventures if we had the phlogiston system and the fact that the traveling between planets was almost moot. Whereas yeah. I feel like the I feel like in this version of Spelljammer for fifth edition that it does offer off a lot of more thematic things you can do and that it's just not respecting the fact that there's different planets but there's definitely things are going to be in between each planet right like you're going to come across other ships you're going to come across other folks you're going to come across um probably someone that's camping out on the the back of a dead god you know like you're gonna there's so much more room for creativity for dms to utilize because they created space travel right i think that's my favorite part what about you terry uh, well, first of all, I think we need to note that the word phlogiston, I think, was also created 20 minutes before this whole thing shipped, as though somebody said, what are we going to name it? And they did not have a name, and they, they just went phlogiston. That's right down. We'll, we'll ship that. Um, but I think for me, the thing that excites me or inspires me most is what we were just kind of joking about, which is really how how much they've simplified it. Because it means that you can now go nuts on the on the exciting part, the, the part that your players are going to be excited about without having to try and think about how everything else is going to work. And is this technically possible? doesn't matter. We've, we've basically we've hand waved everything. Move your ships around. They can breathe. There's gravity. Just enjoy it. Uh, so I think that's what inspires me most is how they've simplified it. But it's uh, become a good thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right, Brad, what are some unique exploratory and early, you know, scenery opportunities in Spelljammer that kind of suit your fancy? You know what? The art in this book really inspires me. You know, really one pretty. flip through this book and ideas just automatically start forming in my head. The color scheme itself, I already talked about this earlier, but the way that they've kind of softened it, but also made it bright and colorful, really just brings ideas to my mind of sailing almost like a tropical ocean, but so vast with almost nothing in between that you're going to be filling it with all sorts of obscurities. Um, a lot of the art here pictures space whales, right? These massive whales just floating through space, sometimes in pods, sometimes individual. Um, massive turtles floating through. Like, they really did pull the pirate ocean theme and then put it in space. And the amount of options you have with that, that's really what's inspiring me in this setting. I can feel that. I like the idea that there's so many gods floating around. I know I've mentioned them quite a few times, that there's dead gods floating around. But I just feel like because they're dead gods there's going to be a lot of plot hooks and a lot of storylines that a dm can come up with as to how that god got there why it's there um if there is a lineage that has decided to like plank itself on this planet and like build on it right like what kind of magic would be imbued within this like petrified body you know and like what are they are they mining something are they pulling energy are they doing something with the the remains of these gods that are floating around right like it just it that to me alone bodes for a lot of things so without even doing the planet hopping you know this is just in between space so i just that's my most interesting place and i think that's just because i like playing a lot of characters that end up worshiping gods and goddesses you know like your clerics your paladins your classics you know so i don't know I, that's my favorite piece. What about you, Terry? I think this is a new chance uh, for me to um, expand upon something which excites me about D&D as a whole, which sometimes we're robbed of, which is this idea of communicating with 
uh, lineages or species that are completely alien to you. So I always like in D&D when there's no comprehend languages and people can only speak so many languages and you have those funny interactions or encounters where you can't understand each other at all. That's why my complaint about comprehend languages, it removes our tongues rather, it removes this. Um, but this takes it one step further in that they will be completely alien to you. Even myself on earth right now, myself and my dog have things in common in which we both know we are driven by hunger. We have the same basic necessities in our day and we can kind of communicate an understanding around that kind of thing. But in Spelljammer, it can be so completely alien that you may not even un understand what drives them at all, why they're even here. They don't need food, they don't need water. And so now it brings back that thing which is exciting for me, which is you have an encounter where you have no idea what's going on, what they want, what they're talking about, what drives them. Uh, and now it cannot be taken away from me with something as simply uh, simple as the tongue spell. So that's uh, the fact that no one knows what's going on. That's what I'm excited about, Megan, with Spelljammer. <laughs> I like to build awesome. characters that no one will ask questions about there <laughs> <laughs> because they can't. Encounters. I love those encounters, in, in, even in movies and stories where there's just, they're like, no idea. I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like, especially in Spelljammer, the subtitles would just be like awkward mouth noises, oh, you know, know, like, like, <laughs> like wet, moist, squelching sounds coming. Yeah. The chance mouth, to just you use know? your clicks and your yeah. little ASMR <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> Ew, I hate it. But yeah, I think to your point, Terry, that would be a lot of fun. That's a, an exploratory Absolutely. thing that like a lot of DMs can play with is the fact that like the communication will be very different. Yeah. Um, and you could science it if you don't want to give them the magical spell, like science it, make someone learn the language or have the thesaurus or the dictionary so they can only like learn four or five different words at a time. Like, I think that yeah. would be a really fun thing to do with your little PCs flying through space. Yeah. Any final thoughts on Spelljammer as a whole before we get into the nitty gritty details? I think it's an exciting new opportunity, right? There's This is something that's very different from what we've done, right? Fantasy can be very, you can put whatever spin or setting you want to put it in, but it's going to feel samey. Um, and Spelljammer gives you a bit of an opportunity to kind of kick that to the side. Yeah, it already like physically looks different, right? Yes. Like the book feels different. The way you read the book feels different. Honestly, when I was flipping through the pages of the book, I'm like, it almost didn't feel like a D&D &D book, right? Like it had a different like way outline. It had a different way of showing the, the characters. Like it just yeah. feels and looks different. So, yeah. all right. Let's talk about the Astral Sea and some ships. Oh my God, we're on to me already. Okay, uh, let me click into my notes here. Okay, so the first part of what I'm going to talk about, and I was taken aback there, Megan, I didn't expect it to come to happen so quickly. Never my sex day. Right when you were drinking, I saw the cup go up. Terry. Okay. I just want to expand on what you were talking about earlier uh, with regards to the Astral Plane. So every world within the astral plane uh, is situated in its own, in wild space. And it's actually situated in its own wild space. Um, wild space systems are like airless oceans that, uh, that, that are full of like space dwelling life forms. Life forms that you would find in the, you would think you would find in the oceans on like earth, for example, it's like lots of spores, space plankton, um, like large creatures that resemble fish or like aquatic mammals and those kinds of things. And so the ones of those that need air, they need their own air envelope, like uh, Megan was speaking about earlier, or they need to be by um, something else that has one, like a like an object, a ship or a planet or something like that. Um, so wild space is where the astral plane overlaps with the material plane. 
So you have interior plane, wild space, and then outside of that, uh, you have the astral sea. When you're trying to travel between the worlds, um, you either need a spell jamming ship, uh, a teleportation spell of some kind, so either the teleport spell or a teleportation circle. And within a wild space system, it's up to the DM to decide how long it's going to take for a spell jamming ship to travel between these different systems. Uh, you know, you could make it easy on yourself and draw a diagram or something like that. In the same way that you would if you were just on like the Sword Coast, how many days does it take to get from uh, Baldur's Gate to Waterdeep? Seven days uh, by ship. Um, for was oddly like, specific. <laughs> In that same you would you would have to do that. No, my party, we're playing Tyranny of Dragons. I didn't like the way Tyranny of Dragons was laid out. So I said ships, and we just uh, sailed and it said seven days. <laughs> but you'd have to do the same thing if you were traveling between wild space systems as well. Okay. Um, so when it comes to traversing the astral sea, the astral sea actually has no gravity, um, but it is actually also breathable and it has breathable, comfortable air. So the air is either you either say that it is real as a DM or you say, don't worry about it, hand wave it. It's just designed that it feels real, but maybe it's not. It's kind of matrixy. I don't know. But you don't want to get too deep into this because then you've got to start answering questions that you don't have the answers to. But Spelljammer as a whole has kind of hand waved it. Um, so a creature does not need a vessel to drop to travel through the astral sea. You have the option of propelling yourself if you're alone. The more intelligent a creature is, the faster they can actually move. And there's a mechanic for this. So it is your, I believe it is five times your intelligence score is how quickly in feet you can move uh, while you're traveling through the astral sea alone. You also, here's, Megan, here's another hand wave for you. You also do not need a map uh, to or any type of a directional input to navigate the astral sea. You just automatically know roughly where things are. You just automatically yeah, so uh, I hate it. <laughs> which is convenient, you know, like that. <laughs> uh, no. Which is convenient. Incidentally, there is no fixed location for wild space systems either. It's kind of imagined as though it's kind of like a cork in the ocean. It's going to bob around a little bit, and it's very difficult uh, to lock onto a specific location. I thought this was strange. Okay, so on one hand, they went, "Oh, the wild space systems are very difficult to locate a fixed location. It's kind of like they're in constant motion, so they move around a bit." And so the follow-up question is, "Okay, well, how do we navigate?" And then they went, don't worry about that. You just know where you're going. And I was like, well, what's the point in the first part then? If it doesn't matter, but whatever, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It, it's like Neverland, right? I guess. First yeah. start of morning, right? You just got to, wherever your heart takes you, that's where you'll end up. Yeah. It's called hopes and dreams. We're just flying on hopes and dreams. <laughs> uh, now it got real, real all of a sudden. And then you would naturally, you would have further questions, right, about like temperature and that kind of thing. So the ambient temperature in the astral plane is about the same as on a moderate summer day uh, in the temperate region of most worlds. OK, so great. Every, everything's always 19 degrees, slightly cloudy, two o'clock on a Tuesday. It's exactly the same. And the astral plane is, is Harry's favorite part of D&D. Yeah, 10% yeah. humidity. Yeah. I know. And it gets worse. Dave pointed out to me a few months ago. He's like, How come dungeons are always like finely swept stone floors? And I was like, I don't know. Who's sweeping these dungeons? I don't get it. Because of the creatures that live in the astral sea, uh, you can actually go astral sea fishing. And it sounds like a joke. I promise you it's not. And there are actually mechanics for this as well. Um, so in Wild Space, Astral Sea, though it is though this activity isn't possible aboard a ship that is moving faster than its flying speed if you slow down you can fish within the astral sea uh, there's even a randomized table for it it's a d10 table on a one to two for example you get a tiny little fish uh, a creature that consumes it is poisoned for one hour 
second one off this random table. If you roll a nine, you get a hostile space eel, and there is a, there are stats for that as well. Um, in the Astral Sea, you will also experience weightlessness. I wish I had known this two weeks ago. Granted, I could have done my research for this episode two weeks ago because I had a little astral plane demi plane in the game that I'm running. Didn't know any of these mechanics and just winged it. And now I'm realizing I've done it completely wrong, but it's okay. Hopefully none of my players ever read this and it'll be totally fine. Um, They're going to listen to this podcast just to roast you. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're the DM. The rules changed. Sorry, the rules have changed. Yeah. Uh, so there's weightlessness. So my point was uh, there are a few mechanics changes to this. So when, in this weightlessness environment, uh, you have an impeded melee, which means when you're making a melee attack with a weapon, um, a creature that does not have a flying speed or a, or a swimming speed has disadvantage on the attack roll um, unless the weapon deals piercing damage. Sure. So it's the exact same rules as underwater fighting. Yes. Oh, yeah. Except that's you get flying as well as an option instead of just swimming. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. I, I think it's hilarious that you get to use the swimming speed because you're just like swimming through this. It's pretty much the same movement. It's plain. <laughs> <laughs> Movement change slightly as well. A creature can move, can use its action to push off something heavier than itself to move its walking, flying, or swimming speed in a straight line. Uh, and the creature that does that will continue along that, that course, moving in a straight line at its speed on each of its turns until something stops or changes its traje trajectory. I like that. That's quite fun, um, especially if there's no boundaries in the environment that you're having your combat in. Uh, that could be really good. Or if there is a lot of boundaries and they're all at different kind of positions, uh, that, that would make for a real fun uh, environment. Okay, so that was a little bit more on the uh, the astral plane itself. Let's get into some ships. There are loads of different kinds of ships. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm going to focus in on two or three that I really like. There's like 30 pages of ship details, but I just want to point out how vastly different they are. Um, you can get uh, something called a called a bombard, which is a, a gift ship, and then you have something called a damselfly ship, completely different. It's it looks just like that, like a damselfly, like an insect. Uh, you have a flying fish type ship, a hammerhead shark shaped ship. Uh, there is, there's living ships as well. Mind flares have their own weird vessels. There's something called a night spider, which I'll focus in on because that I'm all about that sort of stuff and a scorpion ship as well. There's two that I want to zoom in on here real quick. The first one is the bombard, which is a, um, it's built by, sorry, I said gif earlier. I meant gif as in hippo people. G-I-F-F. G-I-F-F. people. That's or right. hippo people rather. Hippo people. That's right. Not gif as in the uh, gif yankee. Uh, okay, so I'll take you through the stats. All of the ships will have the same kind of stat block as all monsters do uh, in the game. So for a Bombard, we're looking at armor class of 15. It has 55-0 hit points. Uh, it comes with a Ballista, two Ballistae, sorry. And, uh, and it also has a giant cannon, which requires a crew of four to fire. The cannon itself has 250 points as well. Um, so... Oh, sorry, the, I got that wrong. The armor class is 15. The hit points of the ship itself are is 300. The hit points of the ballista is uh, is 50. Can carry a cargo of 150 tons. It has what we call a damage threshold of 20. If you've never experienced a damage threshold before, that means you need to do a minimum of 20 damage to damage it at all. So if you hit it and you only hit it for six hit points, it won't damage it at all until you hit it for a minimum of 20, and then it will do that 20 plus damage. Speed, flying speed of 35 feet. That's four miles per hour, apparently. Uh, a crew of 12, and it costs 50,000 gold pieces if you want to buy one. Not bad. That sounds like a nice cheap price, you know? It's like yeah, good starter ship. Yeah. You know, yeah. Not That's like one. less than a down payment, 
Vancouver, you know? Like, it's, get a whole fucking ship. Guys, I'm out of here. About this, Megan. All right. <laughs> I always, as maybe all of us do, always compare myself uh, to my parents when they were the same age as me and they had their house and everything. I'm like, what the hell? I'm killing myself here. Okay. No, uh, it's because they bought their house for 11 raspberries. So you're okay. <laughs> and i'm like i'm dying here (laughs) okay second one i want to zoom in on is the night spider so the the neogi uh terrorize wild space and ships of their own construction which others call night spiders and they look just like that they look like giant spiders with a giant um like that big ball kind of shaped abdomen on the back i wish you all could see megan's face right now because she is cringing like nothing else no it looks like my tattoo i have a i point to a long sleeve t-shirt for joe terry Uh, (laughs) thanks for covering that up for me thank you i appreciate it (laughs) you're welcome um so for the night spider summary then armor class of 19 this is a metal ship at hit points of 300 cargo of 50 tons it's a different kind of vessel crew of 25 Damage threshold of 15 for this one and a flying speed of 40 feet. There are four ballistae on this. They take three crew members uh, for each. Ballistae itself, just to remind you, has an armor class of 15 and hit points of 50. This also has a mangonel on it. If you're not uh, familiar with these kind of weapons, I believe a mangonel is a type of catapult. From yes. If memory serves right, but I can't, I should have uh, double checked before the episode. But I think that, it is. That's the way they're represented in the game here anyways, is a catapult-like weapon. Okay, great. And the last one I want to zoom in on here is a space galleon, because I feel like that's what we can kind of um, uh, understand the most. And the space galleon in Spelljammer looks just like a regular galleon that you would see on the ocean. It just looks like a wooden ship, an old-timey wooden ship. Um, so the space galleon is a mainstay among the host vessel of the vessels that ply wild space in the astral sea. So there are a lot of space galleons around. Armor class 15, hit points of 400. They'll carry a cargo of 20 tons, 20 crew members, Damage threshold of 15, flying speed of 35 feet for this one. You're looking at two ballistae on this one and mangonel as well. And I'm just going to check to see if there's any other weapons. There are none. And so that's what we're looking at for a little bit of expansion there and what Megan talked about. Um, And uh, two or three ships there, Megan. That's it. Now, you left off my favorite ship. I just want to quickly mention. Sure. Um, There are, you can literally fly around in the skull of a dead hive tyrant. Yeah. It's the tyrant ship. Yeah. It is just, if you look up the art for it, it is literally a floating, empty carcass of a hive tyrant. Just That's metal as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about like people building their bases and dead gods. Well, guess what? The Mind Flayers have already built their uh, ship out of a dead hive tyrant. I quite That's pretty agree. cool. If we're going to mention a couple of extras as well, honorable mention, honorable mention for the turtle ship as well, which is yeah, literally, very it's, cool. just, it's a gargantuan turtle that has rooms and you fly around it. Like it's incredible. But uh, that tyrant ship. Yeah, definitely a favorite of mine. Dude, I just want like a ship full of mind flayers. That sounds delightful as a DM. Does it not? <laughs> well, well, it's in short the Go for it. <laughs> TPK, okay, we're going home. Thanks, guys. Exactly. Like, if you get a text, when are you coming home? And anyway, Mind Flare ship shows up and uh, roll initiative. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. All right. Well, let's roll some dice. I've got some questions. Let's talk about ships. Okay. That's a 10. A 13. I just lost my break. Oh, there it is. 12. Amazing. So I'm going to ask myself the question and then I'll start us off. How about that? All right, so what do we think about the Astral Sea rules and are they easy for DMs to use? Um, I think yes, because you can hand wave a lot of stuff, as we were saying. Like, there's enough science there to give you a guideline, but at the end of the day, 
there's a lot of stuff that's up to DM discretion, like even up to just traveling through the astral seas, deciding how far things are, right? And like just the small pieces of like, we know how fast spell jammer ships travel, but you can determine how long they're in space for and what they come across and what they have to like deal with, right? So I feel like just that those wave handy rules alone allow for a little bit of creativity, but probably also not the easiest thing for a new DM to navigate, right? So like to your point, Terry, you had a random astral plane in a, in a, in a world that you did not look up the rules for that this particular specific book had, but a, a new DM wouldn't even know that that existed, right? Yeah. They would probably have to come up with something like on the fly. But even with the rules in the Spelljammer book, they're so vague and open-ended that I feel like if you are a new DM, it, it would be very difficult to come up with those rules and regulations because you don't have any experience in dealing with simple, simple things like swimming through water. Now you're swimming through space, right? Like, so I feel like as a, it was a good challenge if you're a, a veteran DM, but I feel if you're a brand new DM, I think that it would be a little bit tougher, but I don't know. Would you guys agree? I, I it's me next i think it's me next uh mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh, i would agree i would agree and so i'm going to put this i'm going to add on a word of caution which is i would recommend just keeping these rules simplified uh, they're simple rules just keep them as they are new dms and even veteran dms probably for different reasons we have this uh, tendency to change things adjust rules do house rules change things here and there and in regular D&D alone, when you're playing on the prime material plane and you're just in Baldur's Gate or something, if you change a little rule, there's always a ripple effect. And two sessions later, you've got to come up with the why, oh, now this is a different situation. I've got to make it up again. The game is as balanced as they can make it. They've been doing this for a long time. We shit on it sometimes, but they're really trying because it's just like our own physics. Whenever we figure something out, there's just more questions and it will be the same here. If you say, you know what, I don't like the fact that this uh, the gravity thing goes this way and then it also goes the other way. So we're just going to change it. So there's gravity all the way around and it's kind of like you're just walking around on a little planet. And then you'll go two sessions and it will just create more questions that you then have to try and help fill a hole for. And, uh, and so it's going to be a real headache and it's going to stress you out. So I would say just the rules are simple. Keep them simple so you can focus on the fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Terry. Um, as far as are they easy for DMs to use? Like you pointed out, Megan, for a new DM, absolutely not. There are already enough rules that you're balancing as a new DM. Don't toss this in there. However, if you've been DMing for a little while, you've got to grasp for the basic rules. Adding this on, not that complicated. It's not that much to add. We talked mm -hmm. about the hand waving. Like they really did dumb this down and simplify it. And I think in the right way of, is this fun? And I think the way they design these rules is, yes, they're fun. Do they make sense? Are they necessarily scientifically accurate? Have they really been fully flushed out? No. But is it fun? Yeah. What I read through this book, I think it would be fun. Yeah. Because like you can't, and you can simplify it to the way Terry is saying, where something as simple as the fact that we had made the fact that you know where you're going when you're in space. Like there's no reason to have a navigator or a compass. Like you know where you're going. But at the same time, you don't know how long it's going to take to get there, right? Yeah. Like, you know, your path and you're guided and you know where you're going, but you probably don't know how long it's going to be. So you might be floating through space by yourself for an extended period of time. And then what does that do to your character? Have that right? random encounter table ready. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, I think this is a very good place. 
Sorry, <laughs> I thought you were done. Go I need ahead. to interrupt you here because I missed out a section of what I was supposed to cover, and I can slip it in now, and it won't be an issue. I went, I jumped straight to Go the ships it. and their stats, but I missed out the spell jamming ship uh, rules, which I think are going to be important because I'm pretty sure you're going to ask me a question about it. So the spell jamming yeah. ships and the ship to ship combat comes with its own rules. Um, so the standard crew complements for a spell jamming ship will include. Typically a captain, um, and then one spell jammer. The spell jammer is the pilot of the ship. You may have a spare spell jammer as well. But you would have one or more crew members to operate the weapons, depending on how many crew members are needed. Uh, and then some, some ships will carry extra crew as well. It might be troops, or it might be a backup spell jammer, or, or even passengers. There are rules for ship-to-ship combat. Like any encounter in D&D, the DM... When the encounter starts, the DM will decide how far apart the two parties are. Just like you come over the hill, you see the orcs, they're 100 feet away, they're 10 feet away, whatever. It will be the same. Depending on how far away the two vessels are, depends on what uh, will depend on what weapons and what options they have. So, for example, if you're starting, there's, a, there's even a table for it. If you're starting a distance of 250 feet, you'll get your, uh, that's the long range for your ballistae, your mangonels. You can use short bows, long bows, light crossbows will work here. And heavy crossbows will work here as well. But if you're 500 feet away, that's the long range for longbows and mangonels and beyond the range of uh, ballistae and crossbows. A thousand feet away is beyond the range of most weapons. There's an option here for initiative as well. So typically we roll initiative, each individual character rolls, and then we decide who, you know, based on the number, who goes first. But there is actually in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's an initiative variant called side initiative. I'm tempted to try it myself in my own game. That's because my table is very slow with this type of stuff, uh, which is basically where the DM will roll a d20 without using modifiers for their side, as in all of the enemies, and then your party will roll a single DM without modifiers for your side. Whichever side goes first, whichever side goes highest, that whole side goes. So that means um, as the DM or as the party, you can move all of your people in place and then take your you can decide uh, which order to take your turns in. Now, it's, it's going to have a knock-on effect, right? Depend, like, for example, if you're doing this, like, just on the ground and you do side-to-side side initiative, uh, you could just all team up on one person and take them out. It's going it's to be uh, swings and roundabouts with this. But when it comes to two ships in combat, or maybe three ships in combat, it's going to be much smoother. When it comes to moving and steering a ship, the spell jammer can use the ship's spell jamming helm to move and steer the ship, and they can do that without expending their own actions or their movement. On their turn... The spell jammer will determine how far the ship moves, obviously up to its maximum moving speed, and then decide whether to approach another ship or put more distance between the two. And actually on its turn, a ship can be turned and reorientated so that all of its weapons can aim and fire at any target within range. So it won't affect your movement if you want to spin 90 degrees and then fire your cannon, um, uh, which may be only points in one direction. You can board ships from another ship as well. So when a ship moves within five feet of another ship, the spell jammer or the pilot of the moving ship can maneuver it alongside, which enables creatures uh, to jump onto the other ship. You can also crash your ships as well. Um, the spell jammer can run their ship into another object or creature by moving the ship into the target space and making a special attack roll. The attack roll is 1d20 plus the spell jammer, that's the pilot, plus their proficiency bonus to make that attack. Both sides, both ships will take damage unless you crash into a planet, in which case the planet will not take damage. Let's just say their damage threshold has not been hit. Um, depending on the size of the object, you'll take a certain amount of damage. So if uh, a large object, 4d10 bludgeoning damage, huge is 8d10, 
and gargantuan is 16 d10 there are also mechanics for repairing your ship as well this is not the exciting bit but i'll just give you a rundown one day of repairs cost one um one day of repairs will give you one hit point pack and cost you 20 gold pieces for materials uh, and labor and that's it and that's the info on ships that we needed earlier but it's the info that we now have to answer this next question megan <laughs> which is <laughs> how much does ship combat inspire you uh, so I'm first, so I'll talk a little bit about how I like how on the ships, they actually have a built-in hierarchy. Uh, so I love the fact that there is a captain and that there's like, you know, your grunts and the people that run around doing the work for you. Um, I feel like that does bode well for a lot of really cool role play that you can do on your ships while you're in combat. Um, there is a part of me that wishes that there was an ability to repair your ship while you are in battle. Um, I have played in a couple of D&D campaigns where we did homebrew, like a small thing where like when you are in battle, if you are someone who can't distance fight or use the weaponry or you you suck at all these things and you are just like the grunt on the ship, um, you can run around repairing the ship while the battle is going on so that you are still involved in what's going on. And this quite reach or your whatever you decide to be kind of thing. So I, I know you said it's not the most important thing, but I think that it adds a little bit to me in my mind but that's me terry you're muted <laughs> it's my daily work life god damn i can't believe that happened on this podcast i was determined to get here <laughs> megan has muted herself for the folks home just to <laughs> laugh she at can't me, stop laughing which is a dirty <laughs> trick to play uh on a podcast like this because i because you can't hear her mocking me but i can see her mocking me yeah it's absolutely okay. there's, I am there's only two other people on this call it's a, at least there's not like 50 people you muted terry you muted okay thank you um yeah i really like it because it's simple so now i can enjoy uh ship to ship warfare i can read some naval warfare books and dive into this because i'm 34 now so pick a thing mine's going to be world war ii naval history uh so <laughs> uh, <laughs> not smoking you. meat <laughs> smoking meat exactly that yeah or craft beer yeah that's it um so yeah i'm excited about it because it means i can uh, there's a new there's a new level to my game now i can do something fun there's simple easy to follow mechanics that i don't think uh people would argue too much about um so it's great it's a it's a new um it's a new dimension to the game and i'm really excited to try it yeah i think that's one of the things that they actually took the time to work out because it was going to be like the one thing people would want to do mm -hmm. is like these in space pirate ship battles right so like Absolutely. this is the one thing we actually have to get right so make it simple make it make sense and make it go right so yeah. Yeah, no, I'm really glad they brought it in. Um, I'm glad that they gave a mechanic specifically for boarding and how that's going to happen or ramming speed, because that's going to be the first question your players are going to ask you is, can I just ram their ship with ours? Every can party I... is going to ask you that. <laughs> can we what sacrifice happens if I run ship? into them at full speed? <laughs> right? That's going to be the first question they ask without without a doubt. So at least there's a rule for that. You don't have to come up with it on your own. Yeah. Um, I agree with you, Megan, about the repairing as you go. That said, I think the repairing as you go is also going to be more flavorful, but at least it's something, right? It may not have a mechanical boon. Maybe you aren't actually healing hit points, but I mean, as a DM, right, you should be describing what's happening on the ship. Oh, there's a puncture hole and something's about to fall out or things like that, right? So even if they're not physically healing the ship for hit points, they're still going to have a part to play. So I think there is room for that. Yeah, and maybe we just it. like bolstering the ship so that it can take yeah. a hit, right? You know, exactly. like take a stronger hit, right? Yeah. And then again, if you got marshals who aren't able to do much, well, bring your ship in close and try and get them boarding. If that's where the might is, mm -hmm. overcome them on their ship and take it over. Now you got into a second ship. Oh, that's exciting. Well, that brings me into my next question, which are what are some exciting combat tactics, like such as like using gravity planes, air envelopes, weightlessness, temperature? 
what what it excites you the most to use as a battle tactic. So for me, I love the air envelopes. Um, I would want to board another ship um, or like, sorry, I would have a ship that like had my air bubble filled with like some kind of toxin that my people can breathe. But then mm. if they decide to board my ship because they're the smaller creature, their air, their air envelope turns into our air envelope and they will suffocate to death. Even if they exit, their air envelope is still the same envelope that ours was until they get back to their old one. So you can actually kill people with your atmosphere that you create for your envelope on your ship. So it, it's like the I, I made myself immune to iocane powder. Like I bet my life on yeah. it. Like that whole thing. Like, <laughs> but your whole crew is like, you know, immune to a certain toxin. You just it's airborne. And so they can't board your ship. The only way to kill you is to actually take your ship down. Right. Wow. What about you, Terry? Yeah. Um, okay. First of all, I think I'd be taking their weapons out. I like the fact that they have their own armor class and hit points. Uh, I'd be uh, I'd be removing their weapons pretty quick. And I would also, I think movement and positioning is so important in combat. The people on this podcast are probably sick of me saying it. So I would be positioning myself underneath their ship at the end of my turn. Good luck. So that's what I'll be doing. Uh, and then maybe even uh, if I can't think of something to do, maybe I'll just uh, hold my action for if they move. Yeah. Okay. Take the weapons out and your turn underneath their ship. Megan, write that down. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> like ship goes under, you ready your weapons and like holds hold fire for when they come running around the base of the ship because they're yeah. going to because they can do that. Right. Yep. And then you hold your action to like lay fire on them when they come running around. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. You talk a lot about how much D and D combat is on a two D plane. Yeah. Like, talk about forcing your players to think in a three D space. If they're not going to do it, do it as a DM, and they'll start thinking about it real quick. Oh, could we? Okay, Brad. Idea. Could we make two maps? So there's like the, for the top down, but then could you also make the underside of the hull and just have that out laid out as well for when they go to the other side? Oh, absolutely. I would have two maps for when they go over because you have to remember it is just a 2D plane, right? You're either on one side or the other side. So yeah. it doesn't need to be spherical. So that totally makes sense. Um, yeah. The other thing I like to do, we talked about the weapons that are on board these things, right? Ballistas, catapults. Find an enemy, tie them to one of these ballista bolts, launch them into space, and they just keep going forever, right? Unless they have something to push off of, you once you're outside of the envelope, you just keep going in the same direction forever. And depending if you're in wild space or in like the actual astral sea, you yeah. could easily suffocate them because their envelope would yes. only last for a minute and exactly. then they would go into regular suffocation rules. So you could just like launch people into wild space yep. to suffer Absolutely. and die. Yeah, you, although I personally prefer the idea of the Astral Sea where they just float forever in one direction until they eventually they, hit something. Because they never die and they, yeah, exactly. they don't, <laughs> don't need food, food or water. They just float for an eternity or until they run into something. Oh my okay. God, that's so cruel. This is this is awful. Okay, so you know, like, <laughs> in, the, in the, internet, the international rules of engagement are based around removing people from the fight, okay? And there's such yes. a thing called necessary force. Okay, yep. I feel like this goes way over necessary force. You're just removing them from the fight. Technically, In you a are. way that they won't come back. Yeah, that's right. And technically, you didn't kill them. You just removed them. And I didn't the kill fight. anybody. I mean, this is more humane. They're not going to starve to death if they're in the <laughs> wild space, right? They're just going to keep going. You're good. Nothing if wrong I, was done. If I was to do that and launch a few people, I would launch them in like the same direction. And then what I would do is once I've won the battle with this ship, I would then float up to them and be like, you can join our crew or float forever. And that's how you gained your, your crew. We over, all float out here. Time. 
right? <laughs> Actually, we all the float on okay. Get, the moment you get close enough, if they enter your bubble, they're just going to drop to the deck and take fall damage. There you go. Terry's favorite tactic too. Launch <laughs> them out, bring them back in your bubble, and then they're going to fall. That's right. That's right. My new favorite tactic with dragons actually is no longer pick them up and drop enough extent. Expand it. It's pick them up, oh, drop them, and then use your burrowing speed to bury them into the earth and then come back out. So I've, I've, oh, I've, I've expanded onto it. Yeah, mm, Megan, that'll like be your new uh, spell jam, a pirate name. They'll call you the floater. Now, uh, <laughs> <next>. <laughs> why me? <laughs> You were excited. Well, actually, sorry, Brad, it was your idea. Brad, you're the yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Works for me. Oh, my God. <sighs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts on ships and flown through the astral sea? Rule of fun. Make it fun and make it so. It's true. It so. Yeah, I don't really have much. Like, it's again, I feel like it's the one thing that they got right is the how to fly right. a ship. And in it space. feels like it should be the most complex thing. Space. Yeah. You nailed it. <laughs> You got, <laughs> you got everything else wrong, but you can be a pirate and you can do it well. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Speaking well, of pirates, why don't we move on to the last little segment of the book here? Uh, the Rock of Brawl. So the Rock of Brawl is your basically your archetype for what a kind of a settlement uh, within space is going to look like. Uh, brawl itself is a city built into an asteroid, um, and it is referred to as the rock because i mean it's a city that's built onto an asteroid uh the they have some art in the book that is absolutely gorgeous for it again these pastel sort of colors with bright vibrant greens to portray kind of the wealthier areas and then grungier colors as you get into towns and then just dark rock for the bottom side of the planet or asteroid rather um these city itself really interestingly only 170 years old like as far as history goes very young settlement um it was established by a pirate it was effectively like a pirate hideout where pirates would come together and would just have a place where they could lay low get their ship repaired you know do what they needed to do um and the captain brawl who the rock of brawl gets its name from was kind of the main founder the first guy who really kind of took charge when he realized that hey this city is getting bigger more and more pirates are coming we need some sort of law some sort of order uh so he kind of took over um it's still a pirate village like they law and order is a loose term um but there is some semblance people basically self-police self-regulate but should things get way out of hand at least there's some sort of governance to go to um basically as it came under control it became a little less piratey and more mercantile right people realized they could do business with these pirates there was a need for restocking they needed food they needed other supplies to bring to other places and it became a place of commerce um and it thrived it grew it really uh went well until the death of captain brawl um it was at this point that they actually named it the rock of brawl and the city brawl um after him after his passing and at this point one of the pirate captains decided that he wanted to be the guy in charge and just took over um ruled with an iron fist uh basically kept things under control um he put in alliances he put in military order he basically strategically set the city up to be a true place of business while also allowing a certain amount of lawlessness to keep the pirates happy basically like um, a pirate he, fortress exactly yeah. and he lived and really ran the place quite well until the point of his death when his son took over um so his son was really quite a hedonist 
he had no interest in actually ruling. He just wanted to live on his father's power and coattails and basically took in all the pleasures of life. And the city basically fell apart. It ended up being run by guilds like anywhere else. Um, anybody who had half a brain and knew how to manipulate the guy basically got their way. They spent money. They gave him the hedonistic things he wanted. And it basically allowed them to have the influence they needed. We Needless to say, friends. the city... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so needless to say, the city did not thrive under this circumstance. Um, his only real notable accomplishments were the fact that he built himself a nice palace and he built an arena in his own name for combat and sport and things like that. Now, when he passed away, his son, um, much like his father, uh, his son was named Kalar. He basically ruled the same way. However, his rule only lasted a couple days before he was murdered, at which point his younger brother took over, led a investigation, shall we call it, found the people that he wanted to murder, murdered them for the death of his brother, and then took over to rule. However, he was more like his grandfather in the fact that he was able to, he, he had a head on his shoulders and was able to rule the city in a way that really allowed it to flourish again, right? He set law in place. He set order in place. Sorry, Brad, I zoned out for a second. Are we talking about North Korea? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Not quite. Wow. Uh, hey, there's, a, there's a little more, uh, shall we say, freedom in uh, Brawl. Because... <laughs> In reality, if you come to Brawl, as long as you're not like massively causing trouble, like people, it's self-governing, right? So if you steal from somebody, it's up to that person to either catch you and deal with you themselves or else like there's really no law to go to. There are for major crimes, but petty crimes, even murder is considered a pretty light crime, right? Because if you're doing it, it's usually, I mean, unless you're going out and killing ma massive numbers of people. The other guy probably had it coming. And if he had enough people to back him up, they'll deal with you themselves. If they didn't, well, then you pick the right target. What a great honor system. Like, yeah. you just go up and murder someone like, oh, well, they they deserved it. It was their comeuppance. Yeah. And they're just exactly. like, all right, fine. <laughs> and if somebody disagrees with you, guess what? They'll kill you and say the same thing until somebody gets the end of it. And if it gets out of hand, that's when your government steps in, your military steps in. But if it's just single crimes, they're not going to care too much. Um, yeah, so... Basically, there's three sections to the city, four if you count the undercity. So there's the high city, which is where the kind of noble nobility lives, the king lives, the royals live. It's where the places of culture are. You've got theaters, you've got um, arenas, you have very nice taverns and restaurants. Um, there's a beautiful lake that supplies the entire asteroid with its water. Uh, uh, and that's kind of your high city. Uh, the name of the castle is Starhaven, and it is like immaculate. It is very pristine. The artwork is gorgeous in it. Um, it has its own fairgrounds. It has a library that is part library, part observatory. I mean, you're in space. Of course, you're going to be observing the stars and things like that. Uh, it's also where the temples are and the theater district is. So the high city is really like the place to be. Um, and yeah, uh, the next place that you will find is the middle city. Uh, the middle city is your mercantile district. So you'll have shops, you'll have uh, guild halls, you will have... Um, actually, funny enough, in the middle city, they actually have the prison, which they call the donjon or the dungeon. Um, <laughs> Sorry, the dungeon the is dungeon. Called the donjon. <laughs> D-O-N-J-O-N, yes. Yeah. Okay. And this is where the worst of the worst criminals are kept. I know. I want to know how much that guy got paid to come up oh, with no. that name. <laughs> 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 
Don John has been around since AD and D. Um, this is not my, a new my, thing. My question still stands. Like, <laughs> oh, so the guy who originally came up with it probably didn't get paid anything, much like us on the podcast. He just had a great idea, and oh, everybody enjoyed great. it. Wait, you guys are not getting paid? You're getting paid. <laughs> 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 I got paid 11 raspberries last week. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's enough for a down payment in 19. I'm waiting to cash in those founder stocks. That's why I'm here. When this thing blows <laughs> up and I'm working out. I'm working my 2 hours a month on it's a mimic. I'll be cashing in that stock, believe me. That's go. right. Love it. Um, we talked earlier about how uh, basically when you're traveling through space, you don't need a map or anything. Interestingly enough, there is actually a place here that sells star charts um, and they're highly sought by navigators and they're worth about 300 to 800 gold pieces each. So clearly, yeah, clearly <laughs> there is a place for maps. Um, they may not get you exactly where you need to go, but they'll at least let you know what is out there. And as you discover more things, you can actually come back to the shop and for no charge, they will update your map for you. So kind of like a subscription service, I guess. But like, why? You know, I guess like it's one of those things where you can kind of be like, okay, this is where we need to go. And then you like hop into space. You're like, I know where I'm going because I've seen it on a map. Yeah. Even to find, you know, places that you've never heard of before. Right. Okay. It's in this general area. I'll go there and I'll just find it. Brad, I love this map subscription service that you've just made. And it's inspired me to make like a, a subscription box set for my table. For every now and again, they just get their subscription box of Ninja Death Stars, and they oh, you got a vial of poison this time, or <laughs> whatever. I don't know. Perfect. A subscription so, box for each like character, like class or whatever. All, oh, yeah, all your players have to pay you five dollars a month, and each month they'll get random stuff. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Every month I'll just they get a new box and some new weapons in or something else, a new gear. Perfect. I love it. Um, and then we also have the Low City, and this is where the docks are so anybody who arrives to the rock this is where they're going to show up for the first time they're going to arrive at the docks here uh there's a dry dock for ship repairs terry mentioned the mechanics there but that's basically what it is there's also a tavern run by a beholder named large luigi oh fuck yeah just let that sink in this is one of my pet peeves and adam and i talk about this all the time beholders are supposed to be this paranoid evil creatures why are they running a tavern like it makes no sense at all because they want to be the nosy nelly that knows everything but they're they're supposed to employ agents for that right they're not supposed to trust anybody else they're supposed to be like hyper paranoid lock themselves in Mm. their cave and they have people who do this work for them and report to them and even then they don't trust and they'll kill at a whim right i don't think they'll just employ agents but agents you said agents agents (laughs) agents Editor. Yeah, fix that. Thank you. <laughs> Don't give me that. This low-hanging fruit. This low-hanging yeah. fruit. Um, yeah, and then there's a few other things. There's uh, another tavern, which is like the ugliest, dirtiest, most dilapidated tavern. It's called the Rock Rat. Its owner and proprietor is a foul-mouthed were-rat named Maya. So a tavern run by a were-rat named Maya. There you go. That's your setting. You don't seem happy um, about that one, Brad. You seem really disappointed in that one. No, I. <laughs> oh, so like, I see you, but <laughs> yeah, no, I genuinely actually do like it. I think it's fantastic. Um, and then the unofficial last place on the rock is the underside. So we talked about how there's planes on ships. There's also planes on planets and asteroids, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have this gravitational plane. So on the underside of the uh, of the asteroid, it's basically the prison slash the fields 
for growing all the food for everybody on the asteroid. Now, anybody who has committed a crime to the degree where they felt like they it needed to be paid off, the government sends them to the underside, uh, to the prisoner barracks, where they will work the fields to pay off their penance. Uh, and this applies all the food for anybody traveling as well as anybody living on the rock. Hmm. Uh, there's also a citadel, which is the main military barracks and fortress on the underside of the asteroid. Uh, and it has its own kind of bridges across the island or across the rock that go to different lookouts that are then manned by ballistae and other weapons like that. Um, and lastly, on the bottom are the vanes, which actually they can use to steer the asteroid or turn it or orient it to a certain direction should they so choose. Uh, they don't do this very often, so sometimes they just have to go and, like any piece of equipment, test it and operate it. But should they need to orient it, that's what they use. So that's the physical layout and the kind of system of it. Uh, as far as the rulership, we talked about the ruler, the prince who rules it right now. But the other thing worth mentioning is that under him, under Prince Andrew, uh, are two people. His chief advisor, who is proconsul Gadaric Maine. And he is your typical old, wizened, bearded wizard. Um, Hot-headed and a bit unreliable is how he's described. That's all they give you for him. And then the current captain of the Royal Guard is Captain Mahawks Rakal. She is described tall and athletic, has snake tattoos adorning her arms, and she is unflinchingly loyal to Prince Andrew and House Kozar, though she doesn't care for the politics. Interesting, no race attributed to her, so give her whatever you want. Interesting. Yeah. Now, underneath the Royal House are four underbarons, which basically are the equivalents of like Thieves Guild Masters. Um, and they compete amongst themselves for influence and power and things like that. Um, and each of them kind of rules a different area of the city. So the first one is Ozamata, who is a lawful evil human, and he controls the docks in most of Low City. So kind of the, the lower, dirtier region is run by Ozamata. Meriden Sandyfoot is a neutral good halfling, and he uh, they're headquartered in a neighborhood known as the Burrows. And this holds sway over craftspeople. So it's in low city, a little bit in middle city. The juggler is a chaotic good elf who oversees a network of swindlers and minstrels. Her real name is Korea Eversong. And she runs the Jugglers Folk Guild House, which is basically a guild house. Uh, if you want a job to get done, you can go and hire them. And then the last one is the unknowable one. And he lives actually within like the inside of the asteroid. So inside the asteroid is just a labyrinth of caves and tunnels and things like that that have been dug out over the years. Um, not, I mean, understandably called the annoying one because no one really knows who they are. Um, but they're, the rumor has it they are a mind flayer who breeds intellect devourers to use basically to take over people's minds and use them as spies. And sorry, this is inside the asteroid. Correct. So I described, you know, the city on yeah. either side. This is inside, you know, between the planes. I'm just imagining and, just your whole asteroid is being run by a fucking mind flare. Uh, basically, yeah. Subvert. Su yeah, basically. <laughs> Dope. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> so that's the idea of The Rock. Um, a really good starting place to come to and from as kind of a home base. So is, does it say anywhere whether or not there's any rules or regulations of who is allowed on what level? Or is it just like free roam? Not really. You can travel. I mean, there's going to be some sort of place like, hey, maybe you don't belong here, right? Mm -hmm. There'll be certain institutions that will say, hold on a second, you should not be here. You are not the right clientele. But there's yeah. no strict laws stating who can pass where. Interesting. 
but you're not going to cool. be able to afford residence, right? In a place that's above your station, should we say, right? So if you're in the low city, you're going to, you're going to be working to try and work your way up to middle city and eventually the high city, but. I'm just going to murder people my way up to the top. But anyways, let's roll some dice and ask some questions. Let's do it. <laughs> Isn't that all we ever do in D&D? Murder. <laughs> well, I think this is like the third 12 I've rolled. Tonight. I got a 10. I rolled a 15. I will ask myself questions. As is tradition. <laughs> As is tradition. All right, so what inspires us the most about the Rock of Brawl? Um, I just like the idea that it's a lovely place where pirates come to have conferences at least once a year. You know what I mean? Like, this is where you do your wheeling and dealing, your trading, your corporate level, like, pirate action. Like, that's freaking hilarious. Um, but I do like the idea that every, like, it actually has multitude. I like the multitude of levels idea because it does add a little bit more opportunity for role play to kind of decipher where your players can and cannot go and determine your reason as to why you are there or were you born there? Do you live there? Uh, or are you just visiting the pirate conference of 2023? You know what I mean? Pirate conference. Right. I think my most inspired, like what I would love to like play in though is like the start, the castle, I think would be the, is the most interesting thing to me about this place, just because it is written as being like pristine and organized and well-educated people live here. There's libraries, there's all the arts are here. Like, I love the fact that that is specifically mentioned is that the arts are here, right? Like your plays and your theaters and that kind of stuff, which we don't really explore in regular traditional D&D a lot. Sometimes we do just go gung-ho into there's a tavern, there's a shop, and then there's a battle area, and there's an armory. Like, you know, you don't really talk about the arts that much in traditional, yeah. like, D&D settings, where I feel like the fact that it's very specifically mentioned that in this castle, we celebrate the arts. And that would be something that I personally am inspired to explore. We're going to fight in there, then we're going to burn it. That's what's going to happen, Megan, okay? Burn it to the ground. It may not be what you go there con. for, but that is what will happen. Pirate <laughs> Con the... 2023. Yeah. <laughs> You guys ready to spell jam? I can't hear you. I, <laughs> I hate oh, it. I hate it so much. Fire festival, baby. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Terry, you're next. What do you find the most inspiring about the Rock of Brawl? I like the Rock of Brawl because I can now have an urban campaign or at least a series of encounters or at least a few days in a, in a city without being completely overwhelmed because I can't remember. I cannot remember everything about Waterdeep. There's too much. I can't remember. It's too big. Yeah. El- I struggle with Elturel. Okay. I can't. But now, but this, there's a few little paragraphs here. So a couple of pages. I can manage that. I can figure the rest out. I remember Luigi. Stay away from the mind flare. I've got it. I've got it down. But uh, <laughs> Megan's just constantly on mute, just laughing. Nobody at home knows what's going on. But I don't thanks- want to take over. My laughter just will take over this whole thing if I do not <laughs> mute myself. So I have to. <laughs> so I'm excited because I can do a little bit of an urban uh, situation without being overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, yeah. The It's the beauty and the ugliness of the place all in one. Uh, I actually really like the idea of going to the underside of the rock right? Where all your prisoners are, where they're growing the food, right? This is your, it's effectively indentured servitude, right? So do you want to go and free the prisoners and bring them onto your ship so you have more crew? Because they're not going to charge much. Or are you going to go and you're going to be part of the government and go in and oppress them and try and get information out of them? Because these guys are criminals, right? So they're going to know information that you may want. I think the important Um, thing to remember though is that there's not a big law system, right? Like, as you said, there's a lot of you know, honor system, you take care of yourself kind of mentality. So these folks that have actually been deemed worthy of being imprisoned, yeah, 
probably did some really bad shit. That's probably, you know what yeah, I mean? Or, or we're just really not good at it and got caught, right? Because if you catch somebody, you got a choice. You can chop their hand off or you can hand them over to the government to be put in prison. Because they're yeah. still going to need manpower to run these farms. Oh my god. No, the... the... The range of people that are probably in this prison will probably go from like axe murderer supreme to I yeah. stole the sandwich and got caught. You know what I or mean? Like, the, <laughs> or the guy who literally did nothing wrong, but because there's no real recourse for being accused, you're just kind of there. Yeah. Somebody well, wanted you out of the way, so they just accused you, threw you down there. Who's working a job on Pirate Asteroid, by the way, the Rock of Brawl? Who are these guys that are, who, first of all, who's working in the tavern? Who's working the night shift at the prison on the pirate asteroid? Get a grip. I mean, everybody needs to make money somehow. I mean, mercan, like mercantile orders are going to make a lot of money. You want to open a shop, pirates come in with go- gold and coin to spend. Yeah. Like, a tavern's a perfect place to run it. Like I'm a pirate not can. The graveyard shift. In a, oh no! Yeah, but, in the but like, pirate prison. But like everybody comes to this place because like it's yeah. going to be the go-to place for like pirates and for other folks in the middle of their travel wanting to come travel and get like rare items or what have you. Yeah. So if you were to open a business here, it's like the smartest place to open a business. That's right? absolutely probably so, get tipped quite well. Do you guys tip in deep? Have, no, well, I run it like Europe. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> keep the change keep the change yeah, that, that's tipping that's, that's <laughs> yeah. tipping in the uk is you that'll be uh 62 30 please just keep the change there you go yeah um, awesome all right um how do we feel about the prince his courts and the underbarons which we spoke about and how would we use them kind of in like a homebrew campaign um for myself i enjoy the idea i almost would want to use the current prince i like the idea that of the rotten spoiled prince and i would want to lean into that pretty hard the fact that they could be convinced to give you whatever you want for an exchange of something because they're not that bright and they're not that smart and the fact that people take advantage of him a lot right like so i feel like if that was the world that i was playing in a lot of like these the underbarons would be the ones that are actually in control right those the four the four leaders of the different factions are the ones actually in control of the town and this prince is just like a twat waffle that's running around doing dick all with his stuffed animals and drinking his tea you know what i mean i don't know why that's the reference i made (laughs) like that's your definition of hedonism by the way (laughs) drinking drinking a tea and hanging out with stuffed animals yeah man why not you can do whatever you want um but then i would love to play in like a campaign where your goal is to kill these leaders um and to reset everything right so it'd almost be like an assassination mission um but then you would have to play the delicacy of if you assassinate one of them the rest of them are going to know that they were assassinated so it's going to get more more and more difficult for you to kill each leader as you go so that would definitely be like a like a good hook that i would have um for my players but yeah i like the idea of the stupid prince i don't really care about the fact that there's a prince that actually knows what he's doing i like the dumb prince idea so what about you terry yeah i love it i love those npcs where the party just you fucking hate them but you need them like you need them they've got the stuff that you need you need to keep them alive uh but it just makes as a dm they're just such a pleasure to like role play and just to just to especially when the party like they have to do that thing like before they go in okay who's doing the talking if he says this just let me deal with it let me do that and they have to kind of psych themselves up to go in those are my favorite uh my favorite one i've got an npc in my campaign where i do just that they need him around all the time he's so annoying and i think i would play this guy like anyone watch outlander 
something you probably never expected me to say. Okay, I think yep. it's in like season two or something when they go to France. There's the prince that they're trying to put back on the throne, and you can yeah, that guy, yeah, very kind of harsh, mark me guy, always says that. I'll play him like that, where it's like he's just a bit annoying to be around. You got to deal with him, and he talks in that way that grates you. But uh, but he's essential, and you got to keep playing because then he gives me fun as the as the DM. So yes. I like the prince, his court, and his underbarons because I think for the way I like to play, which is quite role play heavy where I can, um, me as the DM is going to have a lot of fun here. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoy the prince, the fact that they've gone from there's this real arc of this. You start with a pirate captain who's just a for every free for all. You know, we just need a little bit of order, but other than that, run yourselves to then moving to the guy who realizes, okay, we need some serious orders, we grow. And then you go through this period where everything goes to hell and it's just run by the mercantile guilds. And then back to the youngest son who realizes, hey, this is stupid. Everybody's just running the show except for the people who should be. Let's get this back under control. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy starts his rule by randomly grabbing some people he hates, accusing them of the murder of his brother, whether it's correct or not. This book doesn't even tell you. And then continues to rule with an iron fist. Yeah, plot hook on its own, right? Absolutely. Um, easily, you could be hired by some of these underbarons to investigate and try and find out who actually killed his, right, who killed the prince's brother. Mm -hmm. And there's a campaign or plot hook right there that can last you easily a number of sessions, running yeah. through the rock, trying to find the answer. And then how do you deal with it when you find out, actually, he got it wrong? Like, yeah. how do you deal with that? Oh, absolutely. I love the idea that too, because like a lot of the hierarchies like swapped out really quickly. And even if it didn't swap out really quickly, people in this world live a long time. So like there are going to be people in this area that have gone through all of those changes and all of those changes of leadership and like what that would do to a city, right? Like there would almost in my mind be some segregation of like, well, I remember when when it was the captain that ruled and I remember when it was the prince and blah, 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 blah. And thank the Lords that he's, he's gone and we've got this new one. And like, I think there'd be a lot of political intrigue that you can utilize within this nice. just for the fact that people live forever. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. I love it. All right. What about the city itself inspires you the most? Um, for me, I would like to touch base about the fact that there is a mind flare in the center of the goddamn asteroid. <laughs> That's just hanging out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I could just touch on the fact that I enjoy that the city has a bunch of different levels and there's a lot of intrigue there. But the fact that there's that little nugget that like your players will not know, right? Unless they are very familiar with Spelljammer and have read it and understand it, they would not know that that is there. They would just think that they are just in a town and a city doing their thing, right? And then you could do a plot hook where the city is controlled like similar to like when you're playing in Strahd and you go into a city and it's controlled by Strahd. It's kind of the same thing where this mind flayer is now actually in control of the prince or what have you. And it's actually ruling and keeping itself going, keeping itself alive for some way, shape or form. And that's how you find out. Right? I just feel like there's a lot that you can utilize with that there without it actually being like the forefront of the storyline. Like you could still do all of these plot hooks within the city and just have this underlining tone of that some they're working for some unknown entity, right? Well, a great hook is you see somebody die and out pops an intellect devourer. Anybody who's seen one before is going to have a lot of questions. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Or like one investigation and you're like, okay, well, this is pretty fucked. This is pretty fuckered, you know? But 
That's what I like about the city. What about you, Terry? What area of the city inspires me most? I really liked the tavern. And that is the most boring answer ever, but I'll try not to make a point. But the reason is, um, because this beholder is, and I agree with Brad, this is not exactly as a beholder typically would slash should be. Uh, But for the first time ever, we have a tavern where it is logical to return to. You will get information the beholder is very intelligent, has a lot of acquired knowledge, has no political ambitions, has no reason to screw you over. You know that there's a point where the NPC, the PCs will be going back to regularly because it's advantage to them. So it's easy to make connections with other NPCs. You can actually flesh out your tavern scenes a little bit more. And I think it makes a great hub uh, to make things happen. Uh, but it's a place that the PCs will will themselves constantly want to go back to, uh, as opposed to just trying to usher them in there. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think the, the tavern is probably a lot of fun with Luigi. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to go with one I realized I forgot to mention. So I talked about briefly about the lake that is in the high city. Well, this lake in itself is the entire asteroid's source of water. And uh, the book actually does cover the fact that the water itself does not uh, replenish. So what they have to do is every couple of years as the water supply runs low, they have to make a run out, grab basically an ice asteroid, right? Grab a big block of ice and bring it back to the rock. And then just before they enter the envelope, they have to break it up into smaller pieces so that when they bring it back in, it doesn't just all crash down and destroy stuff. So the only way to get water is to basically go out and get another hunk of ice, bring it back and drop it in the lake. Interesting. So like that's its own like yeah. required so you want another ecosystem. Plot point. Yeah. Exactly. So you want another plot point? Water's running out. Nobody's coming back with an asteroid, ice asteroid. Like there, there's another little campaign hook. And now you're going out into space. You've been hired to go find a source of water and maybe you'll find out why there's no water. That's pretty cool. I like that a lot. Interesting. It just seems, it, I mean, I guess that does make sense, like that you would have to eventually replenish it because it's not like your asteroid itself has its own ecological system where yeah. it like maintains and replenishes its own water system. Yeah. And I think we talked about it when you're floating through space, you don't require food or water. You don't age. But as soon as you're in an envelope, you do start to age again. You require food again. You require water again. Mm-hmm. So the people who are living on the rock actually do rely on this yeah do need the sustenance and do need the the life support right yeah interesting that would they you know and that explains the fact that the farms are below right yes exactly why they need to have these farms absolutely yeah like the crops are dying you find out the crops are dying because your water source is dying and now it's just a resource management mission right yeah oh i like that a lot neato all right well any final thoughts on uh the rock of brawl it's a really cool setting. And it, even if you don't use it, it's a great archetype or a starting point to make your own setting. And honestly, you could take this whole city concept and easily transport it to Faerun or any other standard setting. There's not political intrigue enough going on here that it's really easy to take this concept and put it somewhere else. Yeah, I think the history of the princes and the courts is like alone a really good place to start because you can almost decide which time of that part of that timeline you want to jump yourselves into. Exactly. And the underbearings as well. Yeah. Right? And I do agree that it's a good starting point, right? Like, because this is like one of those places where everyone is going to cross paths with this little asteroid at one point, whether you're traveling and just need a stopping point or um, or you're meeting up with someone or you're trying to find people to hire for your crew. Like, this is going to be a place that will come up in a couple of different options, but it's definitely a very good starting point for a DM to kind of start a campaign in, right? Absolutely. All right. So before we wrap this episode up, let's cut to our last ad break. 
If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. All that to say, I think this is a really inspiring setting. Um, The books have gotten a lot of crap for the way they're designed and understandably so outside of the discussion we've had there's there's a lot of issues with this the price point's high but that said i found this book to be incredibly inspiring um it's given me that just that kick i need to really look at starting my own kind of space faring spell jamming campaign and i'm really excited for what's going to come out of this i think there's a lot of promise in this book but it really needs to be done with the right party and the right group, because this is definitely not for everyone. Yeah, I also feel like the contentious part of it comes from that a lot of people that play Spelljammer loved the original Spelljammer, because like yes. as a D&D player of at least a decade at this point, I didn't even know what Spelljammer was until the creation of this book started. Mm-hmm. So I have no expectations going into this of what it was going to be, but I can imagine that if I was a two-decade D&D player who loved Spelljammer from two decades ago, and they release it with all these changes, I might have some feelings about it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But but at the end of the day, we make changes to make things better, easier, more accessible for everyone. And I think that it did a pretty good job of doing that, even though a lot of things are hand-waved. But like, I feel like in the original Spelljammer, things were also hand-waved. So I don't think they really did any kind of a disservice. You're playing a fantasy game set in space. You better believe there's going to be (laughs) hand-waving. Magic, magic, something, hey, something. We don't know what to do. we don't even know our own stuff. Okay, we're just making it. Yeah, up. exactly. <laughs> okay, so that's all for our discussion on Spelljammer in fifth edition. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we're going to look at a new subclass for one of the charisma-based spellcasters. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Hey, Brad, just give me a second here. I've just got to get set up on my end. Wait, wait, wait. Where's my speaker gone? Oh, hello. Oh, there's my audio. Brad, it might be your mic, I think. Hmm. Oh, I had the actual mic itself muted. There we go. I'm good. Oh, there's my camera. I always try and get set up before everybody else jumps on. And then you guys, oh, the other people always seem to be set up immediately. And I'm always like, oh, okay. oh. <laughs> oh, I just took a couple minutes to set up. <laughs> I literally just finished work. So, like, my computer's just already... rushed in. Nice. Um... I just put the kids to bed, so I'm half awake. (laughs) That's why I have coffee. Yeah, I got to be up at five. If I drink coffee now, it's bad news. Yeah. Uh, If 
apparently we're recording already. I didn't think that I hit the Yeah, button. press the button, my guy. Press Here we go. <laughs> Mental. Okay. You got guys, a cold open, Terry? Ah, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Cut the recording off. Uh, that, that's open. the gold open right there. Welcome. Don't doubt it. I was about to do my intro, my guy. Sit down. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode where we continue our conversation on lore in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I'm Megan and with me today are Terry and Brad. Hello. Hello. And Brad, you're DM3. What's the oh, no, I get to continue so that. I was like, God, you're supposed to I am to not going. ready for this. Okay, <laughs> hold on. Let me take another drink of my coffee. It's all good. All right, well, DM3, start oh, the okay. close-up. Uh, yeah. Ad break bit. Oh yeah, sorry. That's my job. Hold on. Oh, I'm gonna use the ad break to go to the washroom then, guys. The internet doesn't need to know this. Edit or cut this out or don't, whatever. It's fine. But wow. uh, just go. <laughs> <laughs> right where you okay, are. Don't leave. It. Just go. <laughs> <sighs> That's so ugly. <laughs>